Well, greetings to you, whether you're a regular listener or a curiosity seeker. I am pleased to welcome you to the Paul Leslie Hour. On today's episode, we present an interview from the archives with a songwriter who passed away back in 2018, Scott English. Scott did a lot of things in music, but there's one song he co-wrote that is internationally famous. You see, Scott English wrote the lyrics to the song Brandy, while Richard Kerr composed the melody. Now, to most people, the other title of the song, Mandy, is the most well-known. It was recorded by Barry Manilow. Interviews with Scott English are really, truly very rare, so Paul considered it a great pleasure to speak with this great artist. Scott was born in the USA, but made his home in England. Paul hoped for a second interview at some point, but that never happened. One thing is for sure. Scott English loved music. So let's play the tape, the Scott English interview, right here on The Paul Leslie Hour. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with great pleasure we welcome our very special guest, the great Scott English. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up for you? Tough. Very tough. But music kept me going. My head was in the radio all the time. It came to me. You know, I just kept on keeping on. Everybody thought I was nuts. Oh, that Sheldon, you know, he's crazy. You know, he's going he's gonna to be a singer. He's going to be this. He's going to be that, you know. They all thought I was nuts. I just put my name on records. You said you put your name on records. Yeah, every record. I would see, uh, I would scratch off the name of the, of the Penguins or, you know, uh, Al Martino or Tony Bennett. And I would put my name on it because I wanted to see what it looked like. And the first time I saw my name on a record, I just said, oh, it was like, like unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. Once <laughs> some people had set the records, wanted to tease me, so they made my record a, a key ring for the toilet. Oh. And I was very, very upset. Tell us, what kind of music did you hear growing up? Growing up, I heard Knackle, Jerry Vale, Tony Bennett. And then suddenly... I heard a radio station, WBLJ, in Harlem, New York, an R&B station, and that changed my life. I heard the doo-wops. It just was like, it just made me feel good. I would buy a record and I would play it 50 times, 100 times, you know, till I, till, till I just scratched it all up, you know, just, you know, I wanted it so bad, you know, I wanted it just exhume everything out of the music. What were some of the doo-wop songs that you liked the most? Johnny Ace, Pledge of My Love, the Penguins. Most of all, I liked the, 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 uh, the Moon Glows. Marvin Gaye came from the Moon Glows. And then his producer came from the Moon Glows. 
I generally know all those names, you know. Just you know the moon bows? I'm not really familiar, to be honest. Well, look it up. They're a very good group. I'll have to give them a play. Okay, in 1960, there was a single that came out, 4,000 Miles Away. Yeah. Tell us about that. Was that. A B-side. that was a B-side of High in the Hill. Who wrote that song? Uh, well, uh, Frank Carey. What was it like to see that album with your name on it, finally? Uh, like an orgasm. <laughs> it would never end. I made it as far as I was concerned, and I didn't have to do anything else. It was wonderful. I was there. I was Prince Charles. I wanted to also ask you about a song called High on a Hill. Yes. Great song. That broke my heart twice. It broke my heart twice. Kennedy killed me once, and the Beatles killed me the second time. Did you know that? I, I didn't know that, no. Yeah, well, my record was going up the charts. And November 20th, 1960, President Kennedy got shot. They took all records off the radio. February after the records had to re-release the record. They released my record. It was, it was, it was number one in, in, uh, in L.A., number one in San Francisco, number one in Philadelphia, big in Detroit. The Beatles happened. Nine out of ten records on the charts. One record was mine in San Francisco. And it killed me. It broke my heart, you know. I also wanted to ask you about the song, Bend Me, Shape Me. I wrote it with Larry Weiss, great writer. He also wrote Rhinestone Cowboy by himself. How did you meet Larry Weiss? I was working for a music publisher who was a great arranger called Klaus Ogerman. And Larry walked into the office. He was one of the, uh, the people that, that Klaus knew who, who played him songs. And Larry was wearing a red jacket with a white scarf and white loafers. I said, ah, Hollywood, Hollywood. And we became lifelong friends. Do you still stay in touch the with writing partners. I just spoke to him last night. Oh, yeah? Do you still write songs? Larry still writes songs, yeah. What about you? He lives in Nashville. He's trying to get a, a, a hotel, the Rhinestone Cowboy Hotel, uh, up and going, and, and, and uh, a musical with Rhinestone Cowboy. He's, just, he's plugging hard, but, you know, I can't see him, you know, reaching much fruition there, you know. Are you like, still like, writing songs? Like crazy. Like crazy. I, I wrote two today, uh, two on Friday, and my partner in Ireland... Uh, oh, and he did the demos yesterday, and they're amazing. Are you writing songs to be recorded by others? Yeah. I'm 76 years old. I, you, know, you don't want to see me record. <laughs> There's another song that you wrote that has endured, and the name of it has been changed when it was recorded by Barry Manilow. But I'm talking about your song, Brandy. Yeah, yeah. Another break. Oh. What happened? I was in the south of France, and one of my publishing friends started to say, oh, Brandy goes down fine after dinner, doesn't she? I mean, he was trying to tell a dirty joke, but I got a great title out of that. And I wrote the lyric, and when I came back to London, I called Richard Kerr, my partner at the time, and we got together that day 
in my area, you know, with an attitude piano. And we wrote the song. And it was magic, you know. Out of tune, we wrote it. We did a demo, and we sent it out. Nobody liked the demo. So I figured, I better do it myself. So I did it for a record company. And then I was playing it for people, and the people from Ireland heard it. Ireland Records. And they said, what are you doing with that? I said, well, I got a deal to, to release two to the sides, you know. And he said, how many did you do? I said, four. He said, well, play him one other and leave Brandy out. I said, why? He said, I want to release him on Ireland. A Trojan, sorry. So it happened, you know. My wife was pregnant. I took her home to America. Bang, two weeks later, they called me. It was in the charts. I came here on tour. I did a couple of gigs, a lot of TV shows. No, a lot of radio shows, sorry. One Top of the Pops. And we were supposed to do the second top of the pops because it was going up the charts. The union stopped me because I hadn't done enough gigs. The next week it went from 12 to 11, and then from 11 to, to 9, and then it died. What inspired Brandy? What inspired well, my life? If you look into the lyrics, it's talking about, you know, uh, looking for a man, a face through a window. That's my father. Wow. And, and then this woman, I was treating her bad, and I didn't know any better. And that was me, you know. It was, it was a life of ups and downs, you know. I knew better, but at times I couldn't do better. What did you think of the interpretation Barry Manilow recorded of it? In the beginning, I hated it. Because he took out one of the verses, half of one of the verses, and made it a bridge. And he changed the rhythm. He made it a real a poppy, you know? And after it, I played and played and played. And Chuck stopped coming in. He asked me what I thought of it. And I told him, I said, Barry, but I end up loving you, buying me houses. <laughs> <laughs> that was Brandy. Do you still see... Richard Kerr quite a bit. I saw Richard last week. Richard's suffering from cancer right now. Richard's 70 years old. And he's a gentleman. If there ever was a gentleman. But we're writing. We're still writing. Beautifully. People are still looking for our songs. He's gotten mellow with AIDS as a writer. Like Chopin. How do you feel about his abilities as a composer? I'm very happy he's alive. He made me reach heights that I don't think I would have on my own. He's a blessing. You know, people ought to give thanks and look around, you know, smell the, smell the flowers and accept that no man is an island. Interesting. Of all the songs you've written, which one would you say means the most to you? I think called Who Turned the World Around. Recorded by Bobby Darren. It never was a hit. It was just in an album on Motown, but that means the most to me. Tell me about the inspiration behind that song. Well, it's just, you know, all these tsunamis now and all these earthquakes. I just pictured that happening. But this was in 1971. I said, one day after Armageddon, 
you know, the end of the world, the destruction of the world. And the fire was going out. Rumors of life in Cincinnati going from word to mouth. Walking's the only way to get there. Maybe I'll find Elaine. That was the morning I remember. That was before the rain. Who turned the world around? Who turned the world around? Show me the way to yesterday. Who turned the world around? Are you more moved by the lyrics of a song or the melody? I love melody, but I'm a word man. I write the words. I'm the lyricist. But I love melody. When I hear a whiter shade of pale. Oh, yeah. That organ, it just drives me nuts. The melody, just, I love classical music, so I have to say I like, I like instrumental. I love Chopin and Beethoven and Tchaikovsky and people like that. What about the lyricists that have influenced you the most? Who do you think are the best lyricists in music? Semicon, Jimmy Van Usen, Elton John, Paul McCartney, John from the Beatles. Yeah, John Lennon. Well, some of my friends like Graham Nash, James Taylor, James Brown. Yeah. He wrote in, in grooves, you know. But if you look into what he wrote, he wrote some stuff that meant something. Yeah. It's a man's world. If you listen to those words, he said it in a very crude way. But wow, yeah, without a woman or a girl, what are we? Nothing. I also wanted to ask you about the song Chow Baby. Yeah, I love that song. It's a good one. Tell me about that song being written. It's a very hard one. Uh, it was in the rhymes that I had to write. And it was quite difficult. Now, Harry came in with the melody, and, and uh, I went home with it over the weekend. And nobody could contact me. You know, I was in my head, in the car, or uh, over, over in the restaurant, or in the bath. Nobody could reach me. You know, I was just... Oh, child, baby, let's call it a day. Child, baby, go ahead and tell your love. People just, they just ate that song up. I thought it would be an enormous, enormous hit. But it was little hits, you know. In Australia, it was number one. Teens here in England. In America, it was recorded by a lot of people. It might have gone to 50 on the charts or something like that. There's another song, Hi-Ho Silver Lining. That's a song that I never wanted to finish. What do you mean by that? I, ne I never liked it. Oh, really? Now, what happened was, Larry Weiss came into the office and he, he had the chorus. Truthfully, he said, yeah, and it's obvious. So he put that on the end of the chorus. And then he said, oh, come on, write the lyrics to the verse. So I wrote, you're everywhere and nowhere, baby, that's where you're at. Rolling down a bumpy hillside in your hippie hat, flying across the country and getting fat. Saying everything is groovy when your tires are flat. And then there's the chorus, ah, oh, silver lining. And he loved it. He said, wow, that's good. I said, that's shit. <laughs> he called Mickey Mouse in London. You know the name Mickey Mouse? I don't know that one. I'm sorry. You don't know Mickey Mouse? The, the number one producer after, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who was in jail for shooting that woman. You're talking uh, about uh, th that guy with Phil Spector. Phil Spector. He's the English Phil Spector. He produced The Animals. He produced uh, Herman's Hermits. He produced a hundred people. And then he had rock records years later. He heard that song and he said, I'm coming to New York, I want it. Larry played it on the phone. 
Mickey came into my office and says, where's the song? I said, Mickey, I'm not finishing it. It stinks. He said, no, you finish it right now. <laughs> so I called my secretary. I said, bring a pencil and paper. We didn't have no computers in those days. So I said, take a letter. She said, I said, flies are in your pea soup, baby, and they're waving at me. Anything you want is yours now, only nothing's for free. Lies are going to get you someday, just wait and see. Just open up your beach umbrella while you're watching TV. And it's high, oh, silver lining. He said, that's incredible. I thought he'd say it's shit. Because I just recited it off the top of my head. And he called me about two weeks later. said, I'm going to call you with the Yardbirds. I thought, are you nuts? The Yardbirds are a heavy rock group. This is a song for Herman's Hermits. <laughs> <laughs> so about two weeks later, I get a record. Fantastic record. It was just by a guy called Jeff Beck. I'd never heard of him. He was in the Yardbirds, you know? Yeah. When I heard the record, I felt terrible. I thought I killed his career. Although it went in the charts in England. America didn't do too well. It went in the charts in England. I thought I killed his career. Because I heard the B-side of the record called Beck's Bolero. Yeah. And that's amazing. An instrumental, him playing this instrumental, that's incredible. And I figured I killed him. And he never had another single out as a, as a singer. Then one day, I'm here in London, and the head of Warner Brothers Records, Larry Askell, says to me, come on, we'll go see Beck Bogart in the PC at the Rainbow Theater. I said, no, I can't go. He said, what? I said, I don't want to see that guy. I killed his career. He said, come on. So they took me. I said, listen, I don't want to go backstage, nothing, nothing. They got me so loaded. Next thing I know, I'm backstage, and there's Jeff Beck. And I looked at him, and I said, man, do I have to apologize to you? He said, no, wait a minute. Before you say a word, I have to apologize to you. He said, I always wanted to record that song. I begged Mickey for the song. The only thing I didn't like was the, the overdub, the, the guitar overdub. Mickey wouldn't let me do it again. He said, now what's your problem? <laughs> I, told, I told him, he laughed. He said, no, man, I always wanted to do that song. But you see what the mind tells you? Yeah. You've also done some record producing. Tell us about producing Thin Lizzy's debut album. Thin Lizzy, I got fired from. Uh, they blamed me for getting the kids high when it was Phil Lino's mother who brought the, the, the dope into the studio. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah his mother brought the dope into the studio, and they blame me in the book. I don't know. There was a guy uh, at Decca who wanted me out because he wanted to produce the group, and he made the big hits with them. I didn't. What about your song, Where Are You? Ah, the Eurovision song. I thought that would do well. We came in second. We got beaten by a, a transvestite, an Israeli transvestite. I never thought that a transvestite could beat us because all the bookies were saying that we were, we were going to win. That's another time I felt dreadful. I was up in a terrible city called Birmingham. Well, speaking of England, what brought you over there? Why do you Music. There? Music. I, I was writing with Larry and for, for Klaus Ogerman, and Klaus decided he wanted to start traveling around the world playing songs for people. And he, he picked me to go with him. That's what broke Larry and I up eventually. Then we made up years later. Do you like living in the United Kingdom? Yeah, I do. I do. I really do. 
I like the tempo. But I have a good time when I go back to the States. I've moved back at times. You've moved back? In 1977, I did an album in, in L.A. And I bought a house. I lived there until 1980. And then I came back to England again. England remains so, your home. Yeah, guys have been taken prisoner <laughs> by women. I see. I'm married four times. Ah. So what is the best thing about being Scott English? That someday there's going to be a plaque on the wall saying Scott English lives here. And that I meant something. That I didn't waste my life as I thought I would when I was 16, when... When 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 I when I was in jail, it was a rocky road as a kid. I was in and out of out of jails and, because I was in orphanages and, and foster homes and, and it was rocky. It was hard. Yeah. Until I found the music business and I started hanging around the the, the real building. Interesting. What is on the horizons for you? Well, I'm writing my book now. Interesting. Tell us about the book. The book just tells about my life. Everything I told you about it in the book. All right. Well, we'll be looking forward to that for sure. It's quite humorous. Blowing the bubble on a couple of people. <laughs> Mainly Sharon Osborne. I see. My last question. Actually, I have two. This interview will be heard by people all over the world. What do you want to say wow. to all those people who are listening to us? Hey, what do I want to say? Thank you for being patient. Thank you for taking the time to, to listen to my words, and I hope I can continue to please you. Who is Scott English? Who is Scott English? Sheldon David English. Born Jewish people in Brooklyn, 1937. Who had a dream, and he, he kept his dream. He stepped on a couple of people, but he kept his dream. Well, Mr. English, it has been a great pleasure to do this interview. I really appreciate it. Hey, Paul, thank you. Nice to meet you when, I, when I'm in New York. I hope we get to shake hands one day. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.